The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who number 109. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. It's when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Brave hearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position, that's wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Allons-y! I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today, we're discussing the seventh Doctor story, Paradise Towers. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Don. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Don? Good. So, folks, uh, before we get started, I have a little recommendation for you to to check out a couple of other podcasts on the SQPN, the StarQuest podcast uh, production network. Uh, network. Uh, what am I saying? Uh, SQPN network, <laughs> folks. I, I can say it. I'm, I'm still working on my second cup of coffee today. So a couple other podcasts to check out on SQPN right now. Uh, we've got a new one coming up, launching this month. Later on this month, it's called Catholics of Oz. It is not about uh, the Wizard of Oz. It is, in fact, it's a podcast about the other Oz, the real Oz, Australia. In fact, we have uh, a trio. Yeah, (laughs) we have a trio of Australians who are in the uh, in Melbourne, the Melbourne area, who are creating this podcast for us. Uh, We're very excited to expand our network worldwide. We're now we're getting another podcast from from the other side of the world uh, where they're right now, as we record this, it's summertime and I'm not at all jealous. Uh, in no, fact, not at all. I think next I think next winter I have to go do a live broadcast with them, I think, uh, <laughs> over the, in December <laughs> and January. Uh, but uh, we're so excited to welcome them. Uh, yeah. Uh, keep an eye out. We'll send it an email and uh, put it on our Facebook and Twitter accounts uh, when it goes live so you can subscribe. Uh, it's really good. Uh, and that reminds me, if you aren't on our email list, go to sqpn.com and click on the button to to join our SQPN fan club. We don't send out lots of email. I mean, you're lucky if you get one once a month, uh, maybe a couple of times, you know, every couple of months, I, I just don't have time to send it, send out more. So I'm not, and I don't like getting annoyed with constant emails. Uh, so go ahead and sign up for that. And uh, we'll let you know in the email when to, when that comes out and how to subscribe. The other one I want to talk about is, Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. It's uh, the other podcast that Jimmy and I do together. Comes out every week, every Friday is our schedule at the moment. And uh, it's if if you're old enough, it's like Leonard Nimoy's In Search of. If you're a little younger, it's Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack. Uh, but it's we look at mysteries, both natural and supernatural, from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. Uh, people are going wild for this podcast. And I was telling the guys before we started recording that my brother called me this morning. He just started listening and he he's not really a podcast sort of listener guy, uh, but he's a truck driver and he's in his truck all day long. And so we need something to listen to. Uh, and he's tired of talk radio. So he, he started listening and he's like, this is amazing. I can't wait for the next episode. I, I like I'm saying this. I, this isn't just because you're my brother <laughs> It's because I really <laughs> like it. Like I would tell you if I didn't like it, uh, that's the kind of family I have. They would tell me if they didn't like it. Uh, and then my dad, who's nearly 90, has, has been listening. And he's enjoying it. He doesn't know what podcasts are. I tried to explain to him what I do for a living. He doesn't really understand. Uh, it's radio on the internet, as far as he's concerned, and that that works for him. But he loves it. Uh, so, uh, so you know, this is a, a podcast suitable from kids from from eight to eighty. Uh, people from eight to eighty. My kids listen. Uh, my dad listens. You know, it's it it it's a great podcast. So check them out. You can get that one at sqpn.com/slash/mysterious. All right. Cool. Now that, and now that and I'm already I'm I'm already just for folks I'm I'm you know I'm working on upcoming episodes of that and just this morning I was talking literally talking to the FBI <laughs> about an upcoming episode so interesting yes. stuff in store this is yep. the, we we do research for, well Jimmy does the research I just mm-hmm. kind of follow along but uh, there's real work going into the, this this podcast that's that's for sure. Um, 
So uh, we get back to this. And now that you've paused, subscribed and come back to the this podcast, uh, we're talking about Paradise Towers. Father Corey, I know you were looking forward to this episode. Yay. <laughs> it's been a running joke that every time we mentioned this episode, I would shudder. And, uh, <laughs> Dom, I think Dom thought it was a joke until he saw the episode. Yeah. So you're not a fan. Jimmy, now you indicated to me uh, uh, offline yeah. that you, you were okay with this episode. I was okay with it. It'd been a while since I watched it. I watched it a long time ago. And I'm I'm definitely not a fan of all of the stories in this era. Um, but in this case, when I when I watched it again, I thought, you know, I can accept this as a kind of um, high camp parody of a dystopian future. Um, it had a kind of vibe to it that reminded me of Robert Holmes, one of the most uh, successful uh, writers on Doctor Who. He did not write this. He had just passed away like the year before this was done. Um, but he was known for kind of writing satirical, cynical looks at British culture. And um, like there's a famous episode where the doctor is having adventures on this planet and the doctor is in great danger and people are watching him on their televisions mm. and just essentially commenting kind of blasely about it. And it's kind of a commentary on um, on 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 the way we react to television shows. And this struck me as kind of the same thing, only it's a it's more direct. It's another angle on society where you have these, you know, street gangs versus police officers versus um, old residents in apartment complexes. And and as a as as a as a kind of absurdist black comedy, I thought it worked. You know, for, for me, I didn't have a problem with the plot. I, the, the, the basic idea, like you outlined it, you know, the, the gangs versus the, the caretakers versus the reses and um, all that. I mean, I made a lot of sense. The idea that the reason why there were no young men was because they all had been sent off to a war, assumingly, and didn't return or didn't come to Paradise Towers anyways after the war, uh, again, makes perfect sense. You know, I mean, I think that would be actually a really good episode. If it was done well, my problem with this episode is it takes the typical Doctor Who camp and steps it up up to about to 11. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's just it is so juvenile is the word I mentioned to Dom when we were talking about this the other day. Just the acting and the production. And I don't mean production values as far as special effects and all that. This this is typical late 80s Doctor Who special effects. Minimal, hmm. not right. very good what there was. Um, but just everything, it just, it didn't feel like it, it was more of the level of production value and things like that just didn't feel like this was a well thought out episode. And there was this, and unfortunately, as much as I like Sylvester McCoy's doctor, this mm -hmm. is kind of a, a, a problem with his era because they were trying to be as cheap as possible. And basically the BBC was trying to get rid of the show anyways. So, right. so. Yeah. My take is uh, is it, it, it somewhat in agreement with you, Father Corey, is it has a very much uh, after school special feel to it. Yeah. Uh, the acting is very uh, I think the, the correct term is broad over the it's, top. It's yeah. way over oh, everybody except for the doctor overacts. There's way too much way over the top. The dialogue <clears throat> is so is sort of 80s dystopian, um, just mm -hmm. like uh, if if you remember uh, Max Headroom. And how everything, mm -hmm. every or Buck Rogers in the 25th century, like the typical, like futuristic science fiction from the 80s, where every normal thing has to have a new jargony name that is just a right. twist on it. So they're not graffiti artists, they're wall scrawlers. And, you know, there's all these like weird sort of like it, well, wink and a nod. We're in the, we're in a different time, right? We're in a different time period, yeah. a very dystopian the where nobody talks like you expect them to. Um, They're not gangs anymore. They're Kangs. <laughs> exactly. So oh, I didn't even catch that one. I just thought yeah. Kang was their name for yeah. them, for their groups. I was having um, Star Trek flashbacks. Exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, let's let's get into the episode itself and talk, talk about some of what happens in this. Uh, but to, to kind of set the background, it is this aired in October of 1987. Um, it was it's four episodes long back in the classic who fashion. Uh, and it's uh, Sylvester McCoy as the seventh doctor 
His companion With is Mel. Mel, right? And this is the second serial, the second story after uh, we've got this uh, after the regeneration. So we had the, the yep. regeneration story, and then this one, uh, and and so um, so it's still early on in Sylvester McCoy's time uh, as the Doctor. And as you as we all remember, this is the last Doctor before the Great Interregnum. Uh, <laughs> Like once once Sylvester McCoy is done, we have the one eighties movie that we already talked about with the Eighth Doctor, and then nothing until two thousand five. So, nineties um, movie. Yeah, did I say eighties? Yeah, I'm sorry. Not so. Yeah, nineties movie. Sorry. Um, so so it's in the eighties, and I gotta say the opening sequence just is such an eighties flashback. It's so nineteen eighties <laughs> from the font, the typeface they chose, the music, which is very synthesizer. Uh, it's like wow, this is taking me back. Uh, so the low grade CGI. Yep, that was revolutionary for Doctor Who because, of course, that that was the only the only Doctor they used that particular intro. Yeah, was Sylvester McCoy. Right, right. Um, so they have this. Uh, they, they're going to Paradise Towers. So it's which is a, such. It, it, yeah, it's a huge twenty first century arcology. Yeah. That has fallen on hard times. And an arcology is like an enormous structure. It's like a whole city in a skyscraper. Yes. Right. It's 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 massive. It's like four hundred floors or something. Um we don't we're not told where it is. We can assume it's somewhere in Britain because everyone has a British accent, so we could we could assume that. Um and, but, and it's famous for having a really ordinary looking swimming pool on top that for some reason everyone thinks is amazingly paradisical. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a little like <laughs> so uh, that's a little bit of a letdown, anticlimatic here. It like we're really we're traveling through really time and space. That, <laughs> it really wasn't even that big of a swimming pool. I mean it was <laughs> a decent lap pool, but that's about it. <laughs> exactly. Well, if all if all four hundred floors, if everybody who lives in that arcology wants to go swimming at once, I'm sorry, that's not gonna happen. It's not gonna work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I like the slogan that the that Paradise Towers has: "Build high for happiness." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and uh, and so what? As they're looking at it on the TARDIS's view screen, you know, it looks idyllic. It's got you know the it, the the, uh, the ads, the promo looks amazing. But they get there and it's this dump. Everything is like yeah. trash everywhere. It's dirty. Urban decay. Exactly. Um, Although we 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 started with um, this yellow Kang character, this this young woman who is running and hiding and gets it, and is attacked by something off screen. And, and she's and, and when we say yellow Kang, she's called that because those are her gang colors. Right. She's yeah. wearing like a yellow costume. And well, there are also red Kangs and blue Kangs uh, that the, have yeah. those are their gang colors with matching hair and uh, nail polish, I think, is <laughs> they. Yeah, they all have uh, right. match their colors. Girl gangs. Gr they are girl gangs. Um, yeah, we have red Kangs, yellow Kangs, blue Kangs, and they all chant like they're in West Side Story uh, at different points. And they have names related to office supplies and architectural features. Yeah. Bin liner, fire escape, no exit, <laughs> air duct. <laughs> I yeah. thought those were neat. Yeah, uh, yep. th and they act like they're twelve years old. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a real feel like they they're like they're people in their twenties. The actresses are women and probably in their twenties who are told to act like they're teens or right. you know adolescent. Um, and I did I did have to laugh at the one name being Bin Liner because that's a common insult by those who fly the Airbus aircraft for the uh, seven eighty seven Dreamliner. <laughs> the oh. Bin Liner. Bin liner. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Uh, the Bin being a trash can. Yes. 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 Yeah. Uh, um, now you guys mentioned their the Kang slang that yes. they use, and actually I liked that. I thought it, I, I don't mind. It you know this it, it they weren't just sticking. I mean the cliche with bad sci-fi slang right. is like you stick the word space on the front of everything yeah. right um <laughs> you know um or in a show like this maybe you stick the word time on the front of everything but this is much more creative than that i think what they were alluding to actually was the film clock and the, the book a clockwork orange in mm -hmm. which uh anthony burgess uh, created a whole because youth groups do develop their own slang. I mean, groovy man, it, it's so heavy. Can you dig it? Oh yeah. Um, to to cite the generation that was coming up when I was born. Um, right. so youth groups do make up their own slang, and in a Clockwork Orange, which focuses on British gangs, 
um the the droogs the members of the game gangs all have this elaborate slang that anthony burgess worked out in part based on russian um mm. terms that he was using um and and so i i didn't have a problem with the kang slang i thought it was interesting they they've corrupted some words but they're clearly recognizable like instead of saying corridors they always say carry doors mm. um instead of saying beginning they'll say start time instead of saying hide out they'll say we need to hide in mm-hmm. um the headquarters they, it's brain brain quarters, brain quarters. Yeah, yeah yeah all and instead of saying kill they'll say unalive yeah. And and that actually brought back memories for me of a series of YouTube videos I saw that were all about how to kill major, powerful comic book characters. But I guess for reasons of the YouTube algorithm or screening software, they were all called things like how to unalive Galactus and how to <laughs> unalive the Hulk. Yeah, I, I mean, that, there's a certain amount of, uh, you know, cuteness to that. I don't know. It just it. It's it's not just in in here. There are other um, I, when I encounter it in other places, it kind of grates. And I don't maybe maybe that's just me. I don't know why, but it's just like is it, do people like I just don't know that I've encountered that to this to that level that dedication to the the near slang that I've only ever seen it in books to put or well, on TV. Well, Dom, you do you. Let it all hang out. <laughs> yeah. Just do your thing. Yeah. Oh. Live your best life. Ah, <laughs> yeah, I know. There's the there's the modern slang. So anyway, they land in um, what is it? Uh, Fountain of Happiness Square, which is very uh, Maoist, uh, frankly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and and it's a dump. And the doctor and Mel are think are rethinking their desire to uh, spend any time in the pool in this in this tower. They are thinking of going somewhere else when they are. Uh, uh surrounded by what's that beset by uh red kangs who uh, all threaten them and are suspicious of mel because her outfit is blue and white and therefore they think she must be a blue kang of some sort but they like the doctor because yeah apparently he's old and wearing tan uh so or beige yeah for for an old one their (laughs) term for an old person he is he is ice hot (laughs) yeah ice hot yes he is uh he's real cool and uh, so so they have this interaction here um, where they're going. I think they're, what are they, they're going to um, take them off to someplace else. Uh, and, and, and- oh, oh, by the way, before I forget, one yep. thing they mentioned, because we it's been long established that <clears throat> the TARDIS has a swimming pool. So why don't they just use that? Why are they right. going to Paradise Towers? It's because the doctor has jettisoned the swimming pool in the TARDIS. And so they don't have one at the moment. Oh, right. OK, OK. Uh, although at some point he gets it back in time for the uh, gets, tenth, yeah. tenth doctor or eleventh doctor. Uh, the, the, meanwhile, the, the other people in the tower are the the there are caretakers, which are essentially like uh, a police force slash custodians or janitors. Yeah, and they are expressly meant to invoke fascism. I mean, they're yes. wearing. They're 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 Very wearing Nazi-esque. Uh, yeah, not Nazi esque uniforms, and they have this. You couldn't tell that with the the great caretaker where he's got the, yeah. the Hitler mustache. <laughs> yeah, no, their, their leader has a Hitler mustache, and they have this ridiculous. I think it's hilarious, but they have this ridiculous salute where instead of saluting by putting their hand to the over their eyebrows, they put it under their nose. <laughs> Uh, and and, uh so they we have a a scene where there's a caretaker walking along potassium street uh uh make sure you get your potassium and uh he's um seeing graffiti and trash and it's oh the kangs have been here and then he's he's uh killed by the slowest robot ever basically that's what these are the bad guys. You know, the, I thought the, the Daleks robots. were slow, but at least they can shoot you as you run away. This thing just has an arm that grabs you. But like you, in a drill for whatever reason. <laughs> exactly. And a, and a bin that your legs can stick out of after you're dead. Right. Yeah. Right. Just to make sure that it, we know Hope it who, has a good bin liner. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's because otherwise it's really messy. Uh, yeah. So the the these very, very slow uh, futuristic giant Roombas um, are killing people. And uh, so we have that. And then we have these. Uh, the resis are the the 
the residents, residents of the tower uh, who are generally old people, because as we said, uh, the young men and I don't know where the where the the all the middle aged people in all the middle aged people, all the yeah. young adults. Yeah. Yeah. They're all gone. So uh, we have the elderly people, elderly women uh, who apparently are cannibals for some reason. I, I, I don't. Well. At least two, two of, of them are. The, two of them are cannibals. They imply the others aren't. But we, the two that we first meet, Tilda and Tabby, are definitely cannibals, and they want to eat Mel. Um, yeah. And uh, and and this is another classic. They're like kind of a dark version of Monty Python housewives. Okay. You know where they everything superficially is. Oh, would you like to come in and have some tea? And then they're intimating they're going to eat her. And um, and and so it it's it's more satire of typical of, you know, British culture of the period. And they're getting ready to, like, put the hit on on um, Mel and they actually start to. And she's rescued by the action hero with the trait name Pex, Pex. Pex. which is spelled (laughs) P-E-X, but is obviously meant to be a reference to his pectoral muscles. And And he's he's kind of like a a younger, lightweight Arnold Schwarzenegger who has an over the top, I must save everybody. And he doesn't like knock on the door. He barges a hole through the door, (laughs) just punches through the door. Yeah. To come and see if anybody needs saving at the moment. This is the, the this, I think, is the thing. It's. It feels like a cartoon. Like it's that's what a cartoon character does. I mean, this is this yeah. is this whole episode this, is a cartoon. Yeah, this guy is out of SpongeBob SquarePants. That's so that <laughs> it's when I first saw SpongeBob SquarePants, I thought, oh man, this acting is also over the top. And then it clicked, and it's like that's the joke. It's, yeah. That's what's funny here is this is so over the top, and yeah. and that's how I took Pex. I mean, he comes in. And um, the actually before Mel needs rescuing, he bursts in and uh, says, are these old ladies annoying you? And she says, no. Are you annoying these old ladies? And the old ladies say she isn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, okay then. Well, sorry about the door. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's yeah. I mean, well, one of the things to point out, by the way, is we have classic uh, companion separation. That's our big. Yeah, we've we've talked about this before. The plots are often driven either by TARDIS separation or companion separation. So Mel has been separate from the doctor. They've prearranged that they will, if they get separated, they will meet at the pool on the top of the building. Um, and so throughout this whole episode, Mel is trying to get to the pool. The doctor's trying to get to the pool, uh, etc. So Mel has been separated from the doctor. And, but you're like this, like Pex is so unconvincing. Like, I know we learn later that the only reason he's there and no other men are is because he was the classic uh, coward, who has who is overcompensating for his previous cowardice about going to war mm-hmm. by by being so macho? But when it when the when a push comes to shove, he's really not a paper tiger. He's a paper tiger. You're right. He's not. He's he doesn't do that. Except at the very end, when he he finally redeems himself. Redeems himself. Uh, there's a, it's. I mean, it's a trope, but it's effective trope uh, nonetheless. Um, but I just don't. I don't feel him to be convinced. It's just it's like. I mean, I suppose if I went back and I said, "Okay, I'm going to watch this episode as if it's a comic cartoon, silly thing right off the bat," I would have I would have had a different reaction. And there are parts of this that are good. I mean, frankly, Sylvester McCoy is is the best part of this episode. Mm-hmm. His yeah. stuff. Um, I felt I really like-, like how he just fits into the situation and goes along with it and yeah. makes it work to his advantage. So, like when the when the Kangs accept him. He's like all on board with them. He's doing nice stuff for them. He's using their slang. Uh, he's following their customs as a way of honoring them and getting them to work with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I really like that kind of practicality of character, which anybody traveling through all these different times and cultures would need to have. And frankly, yep. that in recent Doctor Who has not been on display enough. Right. Because That's the true. Doctor has had a tendency to go and preach at and yell at cultures instead of working right. with them <laughs> that's true i mean the 13th doctor has been a little bit better the J- jody whittaker has been a little bit be- better about that but but a you're little. right that has been a a, a a a characteristic of modern or new who um so the and meanwhile the caretakers uh capture the doctor and they the, for whatever reason they're the chief caretaker uh thinks the doctor is the great architect who has who designed the, the building who- 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah his name is Cro. The great architect's name is Croagnon. Like think of Cro-Magnon. I guess. Cro-Magnon without the M. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's a messiah-like figure to them, you know, a, a savior sort of figure. Um, which, by, by the makes way, it wonder, also go ahead. It also struck me the caretakers are not just reminiscent of Nazis; they're also reminiscent of biker thugs. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at their costumes and the way they're dressed and their coiffure and everything; they're kind of like fascist biker thugs, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a combination. So, um, but but so they 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 think the doctor is. This messiah-ish architect, but for some reason they, he needs to be killed, and I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't understand. Uh, now, in the in the overarching plot where the chief caretaker is actually working with the big baddie um, uh, in the story, you understand this, but within the bounds of the story of this part of the story, there's it doesn't make any sense, and and nobody seems to point out that it doesn't make sense. Well, they do hang a lantern on it. The doctor is like, if I'm your great architect, why do you want to kill me? Right. I guess. But then they he doesn't provide an explanation. And this is part of the parody. I, it, 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 I, I agree. He, they could have come up with a better explanation here. But it's also part of the parody of bureaucratic mm-hmm. um, nonsense. Because like, so it, it kind of reminds you of Brazil, where the plot is set in motion by a mistake on a form 27 B stroke six. Right. And, and here they're always spouting regulations and numbers with alphanumeric strings like that. And even the caretakers themselves have names with strokes in them. So it'll like caretaker number 27 B stroke six. What is, what are, what's going on in your sector? Right. Um, And, and they have this rule book that they treat, either like the Bible or like Chairman Mao's Little Red Book, or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like their most important thing, which then sets up a scene where the doctor fabricates alleged things that the rule book says as a way of getting himself a chance to escape. Right. um, By tricking them into following non-existent rules. But it's all it's all bureaucracy and the mindlessness of bureaucracy. Right. I mean, it, it it does feel a lot like the uh, like you said earlier, like 80s version of social commentary, which which did tend to be very broad and over the top. And like like we like I mentioned before, like the, the, the old TV show Max Headroom and other things mm-hmm. of that style from that era. So, I mean, or within, Brazil, which com- comes right. from that era, Terry Gilliam's movie Brazil. In fact, this this might have been that I, I don't know the. The comparative dates, but I think this is later. This might have been very uh, strongly influenced by Brazil. Uh, that the the movie. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was if we found out that there was some uh, you know relationship in inspiration between them. Um, the rule book you mentioned, it, I thought it was it was interesting, which is that it it's it is uh, the caretakers li- like it's not just like a bible to them, like it is to us. It is. You know, it, it, they're fundamentalists in a sense about it. Yeah, where exactly. If it's in the rule book, then that's what happens. I don't care if it's right, wrong, if it makes sense, if it's rational, it's in the rule of course, book. Of course, what's funny is it looks like it's maybe 50 pages long. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's one comprehensive rule book in a very, very short, <laughs> small space. Yes. That's why I was thinking Chairman Mao's Little Red Book, because it's so mm-hmm. short. Yeah. By the way, I just looked it up. Brazil was 1985. So indeed, Dom, you're right. This That very well could have influenced this. Okay. Okay. And that, and that, think, that makes sense. And I think that's, the, that's the, the tough part about this episode is because it is so over the top and campy, it's easy to really dismiss the what it's saying. Right. You know, you know, because to, to really you know sit down and think about these issues of well, it's just another over the top you know character when you look at the caretakers and the great caretaker and all that, or chief caretaker and all that. You know, it's just like it, it, you just kind of dismiss them. You don't even really think about the message they're trying to say by having these characters. Well, right, Terry Gilliam is a great writer. Uh, uh, Burgess is a good writer. You know, they they have the subtlety, the and the ability to 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 work through this you know uh the the analogies the metaphors where um, you know this guy uh the the writer of this one is um I didn't look it up uh, uh Stephen Wyatt yeah, I mm-hmm. mean he's competent 
but he's just he's not he's not in the same but, class. And that might be this is also this is also his first um script for Doctor Who. Okay. He had not and, written for the show before. Yeah. And you also have to put that on the, the feet of the director and the producer too, because they have a lot to do where it could have been a, a much better script, but the way they directed it and the way they produced it right. changed, you know. Right. The uh, director was Nicholas Mallet, and the producer was, as always uh, at this time period, John Nathan Turner, who, you know, to his credit, had, has also had some great Doctor Who under his belt, too, but uh, they can't all be great. Um, there was an interesting moment when Mel and Pex are uh, having an encounter, and uh, Mel asks Pex, is that the truth? And he says, yes. And she replies, then I have to believe you. And I'm sitting going, yeah. why? <laughs> like, Mel, if, if, if just because a guy says it's the truth, you're going to have a long, very long-suffering life ahead of you. Uh, I, I, I think... There's a certain style of dialogue that you see a lot in this era of television. Um, uh-huh. And I especially note, I think it was starting to fade by this point. It was, I noticed it especially in like 1960s television where there's a kind of superficiality to the dialogue where people say things that are clearly, you wouldn't really say that in real life. It's just to move the plot along. Right. Um, and it's like, well, then I must believe you. Is is one of those things. Right. I also think it depends in part on line delivery, um, because if so, if I say to someone, is that the truth? And they say, yes, it is. I might say, well, then I have to believe you in a way that su- suggests, well, maybe I don't, but I'm going along with it for now. Right. Right. And and that's not the delivery that Bonnie Langford gave us here. She gave us a more definite. Then I must believe you, which tells the Dude. audience, OK, go ahead and believe him. Very, very, very bubbly. Of course, a lot of her acting in. in- Doctor Who was very bubbly, so. Yeah. By the yeah. way, we might mention Mel, or by casting uh, Bonnie Langford as Mel, this was a stunt casting thing. In a way, she is sort of classic who's Donna Noble, because she had a reputation as an actress outside of the show, mm. and then they brought her in and cast her as a companion. So you might, going forward as we watch Adventures with Mel, you may think of her in light of how does she compare to Donna Noble in Modern Who? Okay, right. that's interesting. That that'd be an interesting way of uh, looking at it. Um, you know, a couple of other examples of that that sort of li- uh, the line that's sort of stating the obvious for the sake of the audience, which is characteristic of the time period of the eighties uh, productions. Uh, at one point, you know, oh no, I think we're in the basement. What gave you that idea? The B on the floor indicator. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, but yeah, that would that would pretty much say you're in the basement. Or uh, it, <laughs> go they, ahead. They carry that to a whole different level on old time radio because the audience can't see what's going on, so it has to be. What are you doing with that gun? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, the, at what point the doctor is in the brain quarters of the uh, of the of the, the the red kangs? I think it was. And uh, gets a vending machine working that they that they are uh, they didn't realize could work, and yep. and starts handing out sodas. And I'm thinking, how old is the soda yeah. in that can? Oh. Same thought. I, I, well, I love the fact that they had the old style pop tops instead of you know the peel off tops instead of right. the cans yes. open that we're familiar with. That's right. And the thing is, is if they if they are, have the ability to open up the vending machine, why weren't they just grabbing them from the inside rather than waiting for the doctor to come along with coins to put in the machine? <laughs> Someone didn't think that one through. Um, just a little Kang bonding. Yes, that's a Kang bonding. Um, we, so at, so we finally meet the, the big baddie of the story, which is some kind of monster in the basement that's eating up the, the residents of the of the building that's sending out the the robot cleaners. Uh, to yeah. to take bodies that the that the chief caretaker is some for some reason working with to feed. Yeah. Um, and so and he's feeding it Kangs and uh, other caretakers even yeah. and presumably Rezies. So yeah. it's like anybody is fair game for this thing, right? Although he gets upset at some point because it's it's eating too many people at yeah. once and it's starting to be noticed but noticeable. Um, the, and uh, the very interesting is. That the the this whatever it is in the basement, we don't know what it is at first, um, has a, its line hungry, hungry. And I'm like, this is where <laughs> they get that in the idiot's lantern, <laughs> which is the yeah, text exactly. doctor story. <laughs> so uh, or feed me, feed me in Little Shop of Horrors exactly, <laughs> or the idiot's lantern. Right, right. We did hear feed me in that as well. Um, the chief caretaker is uh, 
calls himself daddy to the uh, creature in the basement, which is was a little kind of creepy all creepy. on its own. Yeah. Um, so he's he's the hardcore fascist with the comedic soft daddy side. <laughs> right, right. To the monster. Yeah. So uh, Mel ends up back with the uh, the, the uh, old lady cannibals uh, again and is captured by them by by an old lady wielding an Afghan, which I thought was very funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. We meet another old lady too, another one of the resis who is not on board with the cannibalism. Right. That is implied. Right. And and is disliked by the first the first two old ladies that uh, you know they, they reject her socially uh, for, for yeah. whatever reason. Her name is yeah, Maddie. 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 Uh, she was a she was uh, just kind of a, a note for those who might have watched Keeping Up Appearances. She was oh. played by Judy Cornwell, and she was Daisy. Oh. She was the sister. Okay. The sister of her husband was the slacker, and <laughs> that's good. Uh, well, like we say with Doctor Who, everybody who appears is in British television eventually ends up on Doctor Who at one point. Well, there's only ten. There's only ten actors in Great Britain, so <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I did wonder why. What was uh, I think it was Tilda? What was Tilda toasting over the charcoal in their apartment? I was a little curious. That was a very interesting method uh, idea as they're cooking something. I mean, maybe I don't want to know. Uh, I like how they hide the bones of the people they've just been eating to keep Mel from noticing them. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Oh, just you. Know. Uh, and then um, Tabby gets g- grabbed in the kitchen through the trash disposal. Uh, the robot cleaner mm-hmm. comes up through the trash disposal and grabs her. And for whatever reason, Tildy is stupid enough to stand right next to it. Like she disappeared from this very spot. I can't imagine what happened. Oh no, I've been grabbed too. It's like, wh- yeah. wh- what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> it was really, uh, um, uh, Pex uh, then comes, uh, he saves Mel again, uh, for real this time. And, and he for has the this, first time he saved somebody. Yeah. Does this yeah. mean I just saved someone for the first time? And it's, it's very childlike. I mean, and maybe that's intentional. Maybe they, they want mm-hmm. Pex to come across as, uh, mentally damaged by his encounter with war and you know that sort of thing where he he has regressed into a childlike state he's I, certainly I, very simple he is yeah. and i think that i i have to i have to say that if that if that's the case i'll give them credit for that uh uh and that's not just uh after school special acting uh yeah exactly so, uh once again the doctor is, is in the possession of the caretakers and they're still convinced he's the chief architect um uh, but it turns out that the architect is the machine in the basement. And and at this point, I'm wondering to myself, did, is the machine designing it or did the architect upload himself to a machine? So they cover that. And right. it's 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 a huge it's actually what they say is that the original. So apparently Croagnon, the great architect got so in love with his own architectural creations, he didn't want people soiling them. Right. And so he wasn't going to, like, let people live in Paradise <laughs> Towers. So it'd be this pristine <laughs> monument. And the original Rezies before the war, um, I guess there was a maybe population crisis or something. They really needed to use Paradise Towers. And so they took Croagnon's brain out of his body and put it into this mechanical life support apparatus in the basement. So in, in, and and that's why he's here and he's trying to regain a body through having these other people killed, but he's not finding any of them suitable. And so he's just using their bodies for, I guess, energy or something. So that's why he's hungry. But he's really looking for a new body so he can escape his brain in a vat state. Yeah. But then there's this huge plot hole that this creates and they don't you just have to overlook this. but. So why would the original resident separate Karagnon's brain from his body instead of just killing him? I mean, why? <laughs> right, right. Why? <laughs> so because it, it, if they'd done that, we wouldn't have a story. Right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly why um, uh, there is a you know, the, the, the thing is, is that Croagnon finds his perfect body. It's the chief caretaker all along. You know, the, yeah. The, this guy who's been helping him. Uh, and so he ends up taking possession of the chief caretaker's body via corpo electroscopy. 
I think is the is the word that they use. Um, there's a couple of terms like this in here that are they're actually kind of amusing. The doctor describes a, a telephone as a splendid piece of audio architectonical met which mm-hmm. uh, I think is a is I think it's a made up word. I, I think that would be a yeah, made up word. I think so. <laughs> but it's a supercalifragilisticexpialidocious sockdologer of a word. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and uh What's funny is that those phones look to me be old Motorola. You remember the old Motorola bag cell phones? Yes. Yes, I had one. That's exactly what they look like to me. Yeah, I had one of those uh, bag phones, uh, which just amuses me to all no end at this point in my life. Uh, The the doctor throughout most of this episode does seem strangely unconcerned with what's become of Mel. Um, He's more concerned with what's going on in Paradise Towers, what's going on with the Kangs and the caretakers. Uh, and we don't get a lot of him going, oh, I, I really have to find Mel at, at this point. This early on, he's looking for, late in the, in, the, in, the, in the serial, he's looking for, but through the most of the middle, there, there's this um, uh, sort of she's on her own without him, uh, which I thought was interesting. And then, um, see, the, the, uh, there is a moment where, they, where all of the, the resis, the caretakers, and the Kangs all have to come together uh, you know, there's that our yeah. our social lesson for this. They have to come together to defeat the architect and save Paradise Towers and all of themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So you get this kind of negotiation going on after they've all gotten up to the pool, and after Mel has been attacked for the cliffhanger by the uh, pool cleaning robot, <laughs> which yeah. looks it's different than the other robots. It's kind yeah. of like a scuba crab thing. Yes. Um, it, yellow submarine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she gets she gets saved from the pool cleaning robot, and they have this kind of negotiation between the Kangs and the Rezies and the caretakers and Pex and the Doctor and Mel, yes. and they get everybody on the same page to take down Croagnon, who's now in the body of the chief caretaker, who is lumbering around like a zombie with special makeup on his face. Yes, we know yeah. that he's we know that he's uh, not the real caretaker because now he's gray faced. Um, yeah. I, I like the fact that the Rezies, the the uh, Tildy and, and Tabby, uh, in order to get it back in everyone's good graces, apologize for being cannibals. So at least they've yeah. apologized. That that's good. Yeah. We won't do it again. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it all better. Um, there is a a bit of commentary on postmodern and brutalist architecture that we get, which is very very nice. Uh, it doesn't make allowances for people, as uh, as I think it's the doctor says mm-hmm. at one point. Oh, and yeah. uh, and I I, I uh, you know I, I, that that's one area of this I have to agree. I am not a fan <laughs> of postmodern and uh, brutalist architecture, uh, especially given that I, I live in Boston, where we have the upside down Lincoln Memorial as our city hall, uh, a a postmodern yeah. brutalist uh, building. Um, mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole nother. That's an episode of Mysterious World, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, mm-hmm. then we have this, these these action scenes where uh, they're taking down the robot cleaners um, using lace tablecloths and tiny toy crossbow darts. Uh, like, if, well, if okay, only- so they have explained the tiny crossbow darts <laughs> are in fact explosives that they got from a weapons cache that the caretakers had. I see. I see. Okay. Uh, that 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 way they that way explains why they weren't doing this before. Um, yeah, and then uh, we have uh, the sacrifice of Pex, who uh, gives his life uh, to bring everyone together uh, to defeat the the archi- the architect and the robot cleaners and save and, Paradise Towers, and who thus redeems himself in the eyes of the Kangs, who have been mercilessly mocking him for oh, his cowardice. Bullies, <laughs> terrible <Yeah>. bullies, poor <laughs> Pex. Um, he was very pathetic in in that sense. Um, so one, eh, one, go ahead. One one thing I notice in the in our climax, uh, yeah, as there because it's it, it's a multi part thing that they have to do, and I really like that. I noticed mm-hmm. the doctor at one point tries to shove Croagnon down an elevator shaft. Yes. So he's cle- he's he's using lethal. He's attempting to use lethal force. That's true. On Croagnon. So that's very different than modern doctors, um, but frankly, more realistic. Um, but what I really like is that <clears throat> this is a piece by piece victory. The victories that I hate the most in Doctor Who or anything else are the critical failure point victories where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you kill the mother vampire and all of the rest of them die. Right. 
you know, there's like this one critical failure node. And if it goes, everything else is solved. Like an exhaust port on the Death Star? Oh. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but they did that one well. Um, or last in, week when we talked about uh, the Shakespeare <clears throat> code, and uh, as long as we as long as we get, reverse the line, all of the creatures coming out of the thing will suddenly disappear somehow. Uh, you from the other dimension. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's not a great one. The Death Star, though, at least I mean, it is a big. It's a big battleship in space. You've only got one big battleship you have to deal with. So if you can find its critical failure point it's okay it's not like you've got a dozen death stars you kill the mother death star and all of the others blow up you mean like no if reason. you if you fly a cruiser at hyperspeed through a giant ship and it so blows up all the star destroyers about, around it let's let's not talk about star wars at the moment um my point is here on doctor who yeah in this episode they have a piece by piece victory because mm-hmm. they're dealing yep. with the cleaning robots and croagnon and it's it's a big mess. And rather than have a critical failure point, they have to take down each piece exactly. of the opposition one by one. And right. it gives everybody something to do. They actually did something similar in uh, the recent season finale for Doctor Who, the Battle of Ranskorav Kalos. And I, re- I liked that as well. It was another yep. hard earned piece by piece victory. That's true. That's true. I do. Uh, yeah. I want to give credit here for that, that it was. But it was and, it wasn't and, simplistic. Yeah, and you don't see that near as much on New Who because of the time format change. Here in this era, we've got a story that's like four 30-minute episodes or 25-minute episodes. You've got time to let your story breathe, where on New Who, everything's wrapped up in 45 or 50 minutes, and you don't have time normally for this kind of protracted victory after you've set up the problem for most of the episode, you have to resolve it all real fast. Right. Yeah. This is really in comparison to like a a two parter in new who than it is to a regular episode of new who. That's true. That's true. You know, one of the things is, uh, father, you mentioned earlier is that this era of doctor who they were really trying to, you know, to do it on the cheap. They didn't want to spend much money and they, uh, they, they wanted to, you know, the BBC didn't want to that. That's right. Producers would have loved more money. Right. Oh yeah. And uh and, and we we see that in the difference between you know New Who and and this is they they land in a place, they stay in a place. The TARDIS is uh, something they walk out of in the beginning and return to yep. at the end and that's it. Otherwise they're running around the place. That there is not a whole lot of extra that sort of TARDIS thing. Yeah, you, you might you might yeah. see the TARDIS console room. You might not. You might see another room in the TARDIS somewhere. You might not. You might just see them literally Rarely. walk out of the front door, and that's how the episode starts. Right, right. That's a it's an interesting. Whereas the TARDIS and New Who has it plays much greater role in most episodes. Not not all of them. I mean, some of them they they really does do the same function. But and, the, and there are there are classic who episodes where the TARDIS does play quite a bit right. of a role where they are traveling around in it. Yeah. Um, but but in this when the, not, in the eras like of the third doctor and the seventh doctor, I've noticed so far uh, you guys have seen much more of that than I have. But it seems that that's the, the, the tendency is to uh, save money by making it more like a classic regular drama uh, mm-hmm. you know, filmed on regular sets probably pre-existing sets that are dressed um so uh that's all i all of my notes uh do you have anything uh, you want to add to to that uh father cory anything just else? A, a couple of couple of small things uh first of all it was obvious that cds were new technology because when the doctor grabs the video of of paradise towers he grabs a cd you know <laughs> yes. so of course that was new technology back then that was hot stuff um <laughs> And then Bad Wolf wasn't the first time that the TARDIS got tagged. The Red Kings mm-hmm. did it. That's right. Yep. That's right. That's right. Very funny. And uh, uh, Jimmy, anything uh, left that we haven't said? I liked uh, just a couple of minor things. I liked uh, some of the cleverness that Sylvester McCoy got to display here that that he will be known for. Uh, mm-hmm. He didn't show a lot of it in his regeneration episode because he was loopy. But um, but here he starts to get to do that. And so, like, there's a point where the chief caretaker is interrogating him and he even like has a a light that he turns on to give him the third degree. And um, and the doctor reverses it and in in the conversation and starts interrogating the chief caretaker instead and like turns the light on him. 
And and so I thought that was really cool. That's something that we'll see Sylvester McCoy's doctor doing going forward. He also at one point uh, he's he's asking questions of the chief caretaker who says, well, why should I tell you? And the doctor says, well, if you're going to kill me, you may as well have the benefit of my brain first (laughs) and (laughs) and thus gets the information he wants. Um, I liked, uh, and this is just a minor point that's just meaningful to me as, uh, someone who studies linguistics, but there's a point where, uh, the Kangs say, what's the come out doctor? And they mean, what's the outcome? Right. Oh yeah. And so they flipped it from, and that's actually characteristic of what happens in, as languages develop. Um, there's a well-known division of languages between being head first and head last, mm. where you put the the main word versus those that modify it either at the beginning or the end of a phrase. Mm-hmm. And when you get changes in a language, it's often because the younger generation decides to do something different and it suddenly flips um, mm. within the course of a generation or two. And so and so I even though I don't know that uh, the writer knew anything about linguistics, I I thought that was interesting to see. Um, I also like at the end, after Pex has made his sacrifice, the Kangs are doing their remembrance ritual for Pex. And as the TARDIS dematerializes, we see that they've wall scrawled Pex lives in his honor with Mm -hmm. uh, red and blue uh, scars. Yeah. paint. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like the uh, symbolic of the, the scars that they wore, but I, I'm not sure. Uh-huh. Uh, yep. Yep. Anyway, I, th- I thought this episode was ice hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's it from us, folks. Uh, uh, for, before we go, I want to remind you to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook. We have a Facebook page to retweet the episodes on Twitter. Subscribe to the show. If you're not yet subscribed to it, subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube, where if you subscribe there, hit the bell to make sure you get notifications when we upload a new episode and to share the podcast with your friends, uh, if you're Doctor Who loving friends, uh, to help us grow the community and reach more listeners, especially now, uh, now that we're in between seasons of new who uh, we're still we're still here. We're still going on. We're going to be talking about some interesting Doctor Who uh, episodes uh, coming up and uh, we're, we're going to keep at it. And, you know, we we think that uh, a lot of people who have in the past only watched New Who will enjoy uh, the the older classic episodes. And we're we're watching uh, listening to uh, I'm sorry, we're watching and talking about both classic Who and New Who, where uh, right now we're talking about the 10th Doctor's uh, seasons and we're working our way uh, forward in time through that as well. So share it with other po- folks, encourage them to check it out and continue to, to listen and to just subscribe so uh let us know what you thought of paradise towers and do so by going to sqpn.com or to the secrets of doctor who facebook page find this episode there and leave us some feedback or comment or you can send us an email to doctor who at sqpn.com you can find links to all of our personal social media and websites on the show notes on sqpn.com and we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 10th doctor story gridlock uh, until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Glad to be here as always, and thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Build high for happiness, Dom. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. Right. This is going to be fun.